Welcome to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of identity and healing with your host, Dr. Laura Polak, a somatic healer and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. I am excited to invite my friend Teresa Lau to the Queer Body. We've been colleagues for many, many years. She is a trained chiropractor. We went to Life West Chiropractic College School together. She is a Bachelor of Science in Physics and one in Women's Studies from MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She received her doctorate from chiropractic from Life Chiropractic College West in Hayward. And she currently practices in Berkeley at the Lab for Vibrant Body Wellness. And the Vibrant Body Wellness Lab is a project for somatic explorers actively questioning and testing our practices to more skillfully inhabit our bodies as an integral component of transforming systems of, opp- of oppression and co-creating our new emergent world. Redefining the rules of self-care, we are intent on coming out of isolation of personal individual healing to uncover and incubate replicable, effective tools and habits for living every day with our richest energy. I am delighted to have you on our show. Teresa, welcome. Thank you, Laura. I'm excited to be here. I love this definition of the lab. Oh, the lab is my is my heart project. It's something that I'm launching actually this month on Valentine's Day. I am branching out from my clinical practice, which I've been doing for over 16 years now, and um, wanting to bring the magic that's been happening in my office out into the world and into people's hands, basically. Um, So it's a community of practice that I'm trying to build and grow um, with, with others, of course, and where it's basically a way of um, getting rigorous with our somatic practices. Like what does it mean to be in your body, relate to your own physical health and well-being and spiritual health and well-being. Um, but in a context that's sort of not about our, not just about our individual um our individual well-being, but really recognizing how we are connected with each other and recognizing the way we are, we comprise the systems um, that we live in, the systems that are pretty challenging for a lot of us. So, I so appreciate you explaining that. And for some people, you know, who are just learning about embodiment practices or don't even know what somatic means, would you be willing to kind of break down? where you come from, what your practices have been, and how you got to this place, and what it means. Uh, One of our questions for everybody who comes onto the show is what the cultural matrix is, and you're already kind of delving right into that. So Mm. if you want to weave those pieces together, that'd be dreamy. Sure. Um, I, I mean, background for me is I am um, a Chinese-American, U.S.-born, cisgendered lesbian woman living in the Bay Area, grew up on the East Coast. These are some of my cultural matrices. (laughs) Um, And I have been 
in the tech industry. I have been in community organizing. I have been a chiropractor. And my somatic practices really started in childhood. And then I sort of went into an amnesia period, um, which I'm Mm. sure we'll talk more about, um, where I got really separated from my body. And it was when I started receiving um, the work that I now practice at the tender age of 22, um, that I became reacquainted with my body. And for me, somatic is just by definition, sort of related to the body. Um, There are lots of schools of thought and practices now that uh, use that term somatics. For me, it's really anything that is related to being self-aware and connected with our physical body as it participates with all the other parts of us. That's a super super definition. And I'd love to just delve into it a little bit more because for a lot of people, it is a new concept. Yeah. Um, so even let's back up because I know you as a chiropractor mm-hmm. and I'm a chiropractor as well. And what a lot of people don't know that there's over 700 types of chiropractic. Yeah. And I know that you practice a type of chiropractic that's really different than some of the others. Can you give me that kind of overview and then drop into how that creates an embodiment practice for you and your, um, what do you call them? Your people you work with? Clients, practice members. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Would you just give me kind of an overview of what that means? Like, what does it mean to be an embodied person and, and somatics being like, how do I connect to my body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The work, like you said, there's lots of different chiropractic practices and what I've been trained in and have been um, working with people um, has been through a technique called network spinal. And the big differentiator for me of the, the work, but also in the way my approach um, in my practice mm-hmm. is that we're really starting with where there is ease mm-hmm. and where there's energy, like where you're available, where you're not shut down and contracted, even though sometimes those are the places that are the loudest in the moment, whether it's pain or um, something that's bothering you, we always look for the place where you're actually able to settle, feel even a little bit connected. And I think that's probably the crux of what I would talk about in terms of embodiment is some way where you have a sense of connection with yourself being in a body, (laughs) not just your thoughts, not just the sort of tidal wave, sometimes trickle of emotion, or even a sense of being spiritually connected can sometimes not be an embodied experience. So I'd say it is that, that connectedness with the sensation and the lived reality of being in a body is how I would describe being embodied or what embodiment is. And then, like you said, somatics is a different practices or awarenesses, um, habits or rituals around helping to establish or cultivate that sense of an embodied or physical um, experience of what's happening for you. Got it. 
So most of our listeners will go, okay, you're a chiropractor. So you crack people and that helps them be in their body? Yeah, no, I don't crack people. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> the sort of structural manipulation. Oh my gosh, I've seen um, just recently someone pointed out to me that there are chiropractors out there with like really strong microphones and they're recording on YouTube the sound of the cavitation or the pop. Oh, crack. good golly. <laughs> Yeah, and some people really like it. I've never seen the videos myself, but um, that's what I hear. And I don't do any of that. So I don't do any sort of high velocity, high force manipulation of the spine. The work that I do is very precise, specific touches along the spine using only my hands. The magic that happens or the embodiment that happens is actually about engaging your nervous system, helping the part of you that can pay attention that um, delivers sensation and that houses sort of your awareness of being in your body or, or of yourself gives all of that a chance to actually settle mm -hmm. and switch gears is kind of the way I talk about it with my clients and practice members. Um, give your nervous system and your brain really a chance to just operate from a different place, not from the sort of frenetic, vigilant, People talk about fight or flight a lot yeah. when it comes to nervous system stuff. So it's sort of switching out of that gear and into a gear where your nervous system, your sensitivity, your sensation, um, and your mind, your cognition, and all that can, can actually start from a place again of ease and connection. That sounds really amazing. And I'm still kind of confused. Like if, if most of my people have connected to their bodies through trauma, let's say mm -hmm. physical trauma, like I hurt myself, which is really why most people think about going to a chiropractor, right? Yes. Or sometimes in my case, I would come to see you actually in the real world because <laughs> mm -hmm. my emotional body is out of alignment. That's yes. kind of a new concept for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. So this idea of connecting to your nervous system and finding places of peace like if I've never experienced that with myself, how how are you helping me find places of peace in my system if I only know how to relate to myself through trauma or pain? Well, I think that is some of the magic of the work I do. But I, I think body-based work, whether it's physical touch or even somatic therapy, like talk therapy that mm -hmm. has you moving in your body or noticing the shape and tone of your posture and those types of things. I think that's the magic of body-based practices is that that sense of connection and ease and peace is already there in your body. So whether you have an awareness of how to do that or how to find that for yourself um, or not, our bodies know that space, you know, like we can watch kids, the little babies or, or kids or animals go toward warmth, go toward softness, go toward um, a place of safety is a loaded word, but a place of safety and connection. I think it is an innate part of the way that our bodies are made. So I think that's some of the uh, wonder that can come in for people in my office and again, in, in other spaces where we're really engaging with that our body's innate ability to drop into connection. There's so many more options when we're engaged with our body in that way. 
um, options that our mental cognition really sometimes is limited in, in imagining. Oh my God. I love everything you're saying, Teresa. (laughs) You know, of course we're colleagues, but you really kind of jumped off from where we started together. And this whole Mm. part, one of the other things we, we really haven't had a chance to talk about is that we're both queer or lesbian as you identify. And then this community organizing part with the embodied part into this new project called the lab Tell me something about being queer and then tell me how these things are tying together. Yeah. I mean, I, when you invited me to be on this podcast, I was like, gosh, being queer, it was just such a upfront part of my life when I was coming out and all of that. I was only 19 years old and someone I know had said to me at one point, you know, coming out at 19 is one thing, sort of being young and being in that transition away from your family of origin. But doing that in the 90s -hmm. is really different than doing that now. Amen. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? And it just, you know, like, I think my queerness was just so defined and shaped by coming out in the 90s. That just has been what, what it is for me for all this time. And I guess what does being queer mean to me? I think from from the time I was a little kid, it's really just always felt like, or the way that that it has felt in my body has been being not quite normal, mm. not quite okay. Mm. And, um, you know, that was difficult, challenging for sure, growing up, body image and um, racism and all kinds of things just sort of, rolled themselves up and for me was a felt experience and I would attribute it to these different things. And then when I actually came out to myself and to the people I knew, queerness just felt like a really right Mm -hmm. name for all that otherness that I had been living until then. Um, And it really was an empowering one. Mm. It was like coming out as queer, which I did not in 93. (laughs) I came out as a lesbian. (laughs) Um, But being queer, like the whole LGBTQ community at that time, and now for me, it's very much about a queer community. It just was like home. It just was like a name for the alternative vantage point Mm. that I had had since I was had a consciousness of my perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it really felt like home. One really specific aspect of that is, you know, I never felt like I was the right kind of girl growing up. Like I just never really felt like I was an actual girl and I had all kinds of ideas and thoughts and I've gone back through old diaries and things like that and it's just so touching (laughs) to look back at all the Mm. questions and and those types of things but ultimately it was this inability to relate to being feminine in the way that it was defined and prescribed around me and when I came out I was like oh my gosh there are people 
the queer community around me who actually can see me for the version of femininity that I actually embody. And it just felt like, oh, I, I just haven't been like seen through the right lens until now. Mm. And so that's sort of one, one aspect um, of what that sort of homecoming experience was for me. So queerness has just always felt like who I am. Yeah, it once you come out as queer, it's a little hard to want to fit into the normal category, <laughs> huh? <laughs> I mean, if you love it, yeah. If you love it. Yeah, if you love it, yeah. Not everybody did come out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I hear you talking about that really informed you again in that cultural matrix of the 90s. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Like, what was it like coming out in the 90s? It definitely felt like revolutionary and a little bit seedy and <laughs> a little bit, um, you know, it was this really like distinct experience for me just I'm just speaking for myself, like not how it necessarily was in the nineties, but I've kind of like what I just said about the queerness as a um a homecoming for me i I think I've always had a sense of myself, like I'm me, and then I'm just really aware of all the ways I don't quite fit this or that mold, yeah, and so a similar experience of coming out at that time there was definitely a much stronger sense of queerness, really gayness and homosexuality, which hardly anyone says that word anymore in my circles. Um, But there was a, you know, still a very intact sense of that being something that was not okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, I always felt like, Oh, I'm okay as who I am but the labels are definitely associated with, I'm not thinking of the word, but. Being outside the norm. Outside the norm, but really with like a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. there's a degenerateness, there's like a perversion. There's all of those Mm -hmm. words that I feel like were um, like not part of an analysis, but actually part of the straight up description of gay people. Right. Which became so empowering to just take back. Yes. Yeah, I am yes. queer. I'm a dyke. Exactly. I'm a fag. I'm <laughs> all the things that you want to call me. Yeah. Became the more empowering words. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that I feel like that's the sort of political mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. in the LGBTQ communities that I came out in, and it fit my personality mm-hmm. for sure. This sort of like I am who I am, and. I still need to contend with and relate to the vitriol and the difficulties Mm -hmm. that my family had and, Mm -hmm. you know, those types of things, but feels like it was a turning point around being closeted and staying closeted. And for me, it was just not, there was not a choice that I made to stay closeted once I was fully aware of myself. Yep. Yeah. So then that piece of like coming to terms with who you are and coming out with your queerness, and then this piece of becoming embodied and 
like learning about your body and how to be with your body, how do those things kind of dovetail together? Like, what does it mean to be a queer practitioner, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that looking back, I feel um, curated. I feel like my development and process into becoming a queer practitioner was really a beautifully curated series of happenings for me in my life. Mm. Like I came out when I was like 19 or so and had a few years of just sort of actually feeling my own identity and my own kind of place in the world fill up in a way that I had never experienced before. Mm -hmm. And then um, I happened upon a network spinal practitioner and sort of had this whole other aspect of my being lit up, Mm. sort of right on the tails of the sort of consciousness raising. I had a somatic consciousness raising um, just really gently right up after that. Like I was so clear about my queerness and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I have a body mm-hmm. and I have a relationship with my body that I've been ignoring since puberty started and that otherness of not being quite right mm-hmm. as a girl um, came through. I really just, I was a, running around tumbling, soccer, all that kind of stuff, little kid. Mm -hmm. And then as I started getting bigger and like physically bigger, um, and then the early part of puberty started, it was just like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do anything Mm -hmm. with all of this. It's too, it's too much. Mm -hmm. I know it's wrong. So I just don't want to deal with it. Um, So I was quite just separated from moving my body, feeling my body, interacting with my body as anything besides a burden. Oh gosh. That's intense. Yeah, it was. It was. So when I sort of happened upon a network spinal practitioner, it just became this kind of, again, really gentle. (laughs) The work is at once so profound and sort of hair raising and also ultimately so gentle, um, this, this awareness of the way my body was moving in response to any kind of uncertainty or unknown. Mm. I just started noticing how my body contracted or clenched or twisted and those types of things. And it made me so curious. I started getting massage. I started Mm looking into other kinds of healing modalities, mostly just to see what else I could feel. Mm -hmm. That was really the beginning of realizing that there was so much going on with me that was, I was going to say beyond what I was thinking about. I guess I mean that. Sort of just beyond what I could come up with in my head. Right. There was so much more going on with my body. And that was like the beginning of this decades long relationship that I have had. And then again, sort of, I'm, I'm sort of hearing back some of the things that you were sharing about the lab is 
you know, I spent some years in that sort of individual personal revelation and um, awakening and process. I mean, there's tons of tears and, yeah, you know, healing and transformation and all that. But I was still very involved in queer community and community organizing. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, what's happening for me is essential to what it is that we're saying we want in the streets, you know, like what we're marching for and what we're um, protesting against. Like at the heart of that, we all have to be whole in our bodies to live the things that we are, are demanding. Oh my God. I just want you to say that again. Yes. (laughs) Yes, please. That. Yeah. And you know, similar to sort of coming out in the nineties, it's like, I'm so um, happy that, you know, this piece around being whole in our bodies in order or as part of revolution or as part of overturning systems of systems of oppression, I feel like that's really normal now, you know? I think it's really normal for you, but I think that even that sentence is a new concept for a lot of our listeners. Okay. So I, I would love for you to expound on it because it's it's amazing, this idea of that as a revolution. Yeah. I mean, at the time when I was early in my own network care and still working um, a nine to five job, had not gone to chiropractic school yet, my peers were deep in the trenches in nonprofit organizations. And mm-hmm. and again, this is in the 90s and even a little bit early 2000s of just so much pressure and work yes, and burnout. Yep. And I think, I, I know that people are still working really hard and pushed too far. But at the time, a couple decades ago, there was this real like, this is what you're supposed to do in the trenches kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. That would be the real revolution. How many protests yeah. have you been to and how many yeah. signs? And It's supposed to hurt or, yeah. you know, like that kind of thing. It really was normal. To me, it's like when I say it's kind of common now or it's, it's an accepted thing to talk about actually being whole as part of um, making change in the world. I, I, I'm, I'm just so glad for it. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it really was at the time, like, that's a waste of time. You know, mm. don't put time and energy into that when there's just this, such a huge force coming against us. We need everything to resist. And I I don't think that that's untrue then or now. It's just that there's more complexity than that. Um, mm-hmm. So what does the embodiment lab do? Like what is, how is that a revolutionary tool? Well, it's just getting off, it's just getting off the ground. (laughs) So right now. Yeah, that's okay. Your vision is strong. We can talk about the vision. Right now it is bringing people together to even clarify the playing ground that we'll be working with. Like some of the questions you've asked me today, like what is somatics? What does that mean? Somatic practice or somatic explorer? Like what is that? Mm -hmm. What do we mean by that in the lab? I have my definition of it, but if this is going to be a community of practice, then we are going to create something that's living and dynamic um, together as far as definitions and things. So um, right now that's kind of where it's at, putting out some 
groundwork and getting some conversations going related to that. But the vision for me of the lab is that we are able to really have or start to develop a, a body of work together mm. where we know what it is to drop in. And we have a myriad of tools and things for what works for some and what doesn't work for others, but that there emerges from this community of practice, some not just clear understandings and practices, but also things that are really replicable, Yeah, you know, things that we can count on Yeah, that ultimately is being able to count on each other, like being able to count on shared language, being able to count on um, shared practices, again, not necessarily the specifics of practices, mm-hmm. but the foundation and groundwork of them. And for me, it's really about bringing this emergent body of work into into wherever people want to take it, you know, whether that is um, having more somatic practitioners of varying disciplines and modalities be able to tap back into this shared understanding of what it is to be embodied and what it is to have somatic practices in the context of the systems that we comprise, the ways that we relate to each other in society and politically and all of those pieces. Yeah. I, I love that. If there's one, I don't know if you can do this, but in one or two sentences, <laughs> how is that social justice? How is that a political act? Mm. I definitely can't do it in one or two sentences. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What the question brings for me is really maybe a a circle back about my own sort of biography, Mm -hmm. if you will, Mm -hmm. as far as like how is or has my work so far been social justice and what does it have to do with the question that you're asking? The response I have is really, this is how I've lived my life, mm-hmm. I suppose. Like I was involved in community organizing, like I said, for a very short time, sort of in the nonprofit sector, but certainly volunteering and participating in a variety of ways, either you know direct action or um, serving on nonprofit boards for a little bit and volunteering my time. And then my practice has really been, for me, an act of love and commitment to social justice as well. Everything from being able to create and sustain a space for queer trans people of color to be able to come in and not encounter oppression, bias, Mm -hmm. aggression, Mm -hmm. you know, like within the first five minutes of entering a space. Those have been commitments of mine, things that I've been investigating with myself and with my sort of live community of practice members also. And then finding ways in the context of practice to support activists, organizations, movement actions through the practice. That's been another another piece of it. So I guess... For me, embodiment and social justice is really, their intersection for me is around 
liberation and being able to connect with and express your own sovereignty. Um, all of that for me is rooted in our somatic relationship. Another really great quote. There's a couple quotes I'm going to pull out there. That was a beauty okay. as well. <laughs> um, okay, well, I know that we're getting a little long on time. I, I love it, and I don't know if we have time because it's been a little long on time, but is there a practice you would like to offer to the community that they could do at home, a short practice? Yeah, um, I was thinking about what practices, and I, there are definitely definitely things we can do like breathing or visualization or um, body movement and things like that. But what I've been talking with people about more recently or even teaching about recently have been our hands. Mm. And so I thought I would sort of talk about that a little bit. In chiropractic school, <laughs> we learn that um, our hands actually have almost a third of all the sensory nerves that we have. Mm -hmm. So in other words, all the sensation we could possibly have from our nerve endings, a third of them live in our hands. And so to me, touch is such a critical part of any somatic practice and also a person's ability to really participate with the world around them is through, through touch. And then yeah. how we care for ourselves, how we care for each other through touch is just very important, in my opinion. And so a practice that I was sort of shown at one point and have played with myself is you can take your hands and you cross them. That confuses our brain a little bit. And then you can touch your face with your hands. Mm. And usually, for most folks, you really can feel a lot more with your hands than the thing your hands are touching, if that makes mm. sense. Like you can mm -hmm. really feel your hands touching something and it just gives your brain and your body a whole host of sensations and information on a sort of sciencey level. And then if you can play with the pressure that you have that you're putting with your hands on your face, that can also be a fun thing to check in with. Like, do you like more pressure? Do you like a little bit of less pressure? How light can you make it before you start to, lose contact? Does that still feel like touch for you? Those kinds of things. It's really comforting, just that little action itself. Yeah. 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 And it's really pretty to see on your face. It looks so sweet, <laughs> like you're holding yourself. I love it. It feels like that too. It feels like that too. Oh, I love it. That's a great exercise. Thank you so much for that. And then, of course, we want to know how to get a hold of you so that we can do more exercises and engage with the lab as either practitioners or as people wanting to learn. Yeah. Can you tell me how to get a hold of you? Sure. Um, everyone can request to join the lab by just going to lab.vibrantbodywellness.com. So it's lab.vibrant. B-O-D-Y-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S.com. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And anything else that you'd like our listeners to know about how to get a hold of you? Um, I'm playing on Instagram a little bit, but mostly it'll be at the lab that you see stuff from me. Again, once we've sort of incubated enough at the lab, I'll probably be 
more out in the social media streets. But right now, not so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I feel you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us. And um, we will meet again. Thanks, Laura. You've been listening to The Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of queer identity and healing. For more information about Dr. Laura Polak or our podcast, check out our website, communityholistichealth.com. Thank you for listening.